One run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. From the Gateway Lounge in Sioux Falls, it's nobody's listening anyway. Here are your hosts, John Baskins and Matt Zimmer. Oh, yeah. Well, the host part of it is correct. Matt Zimmer is with me, John Gaskins, and we will be at the Gateway Lounge later in the podcast with Curtis Riggs will bring brains to the operation. But Zim is out of town today. We still were able to make this work, although the Titanic took less time to film. Waterworld was a lesser scale production than this, but uh, we have finally figured out zoom because we are modern men and we have a lot of things to discuss now with curtis we're going to talk a lot of football he's the head coach of the sioux falls storm he has thoughts on the uh, mahomes versus cam newt uh, oh whoops uh, patrick mahomes versus the patriots tonight that vaunted brian hoyer patrick mahomes matchup that we've all been waiting for but he'll talk trey lance uh we'll get his thoughts on Carson Wentz and if he's slipping and sliding and failing or if he's just had people fail around him. It's kind of a big part of football. But speaking of failures, we are specifically leading off with Matt Zimmer because he is the co-host of this podcast to talk about the Minnesota Twins. It is not a curse, Zim. 18 playoff losses in a row. You almost have to try to do it. But here's how you put it in perspective. It's not a curse because these are different managers. This isn't the New York Yankees. Matt Zimmer, Dusty Baker was the manager, is the manager of the team that just beat the Twins, the most recent one in the playoffs, the Houston Astros. Dusty Baker had lost 10 straight closeout games or 10 straight elimination games uh, dating back to 2003, the Bartman game and the Bartman series. He... He had his own losing streak going back to a team that anybody who anybody would call cursed would be the Cubs, and he beat the Minnesota Twins. Do I don't. I, do you believe in the curse? You know, do I believe that the Twins' problem is a curse? Yeah. I mean, no, they they just suck in the playoffs. And uh, exactly, it's funny. And you know, we have been making plans to do this. You know, since basically the last week's episode, since the Twins lost, it didn't occur to me until right this very second. That I, how much it sucks to have to talk about this again, you know, <laughs> uh, just because um, <clears throat> we talked about it last week, and you know, you had kind of been the one who was, uh, to quote our governor, had your positive pants on, you know, you were, uh, oh hey, you know, it's the Astros, they're a losing team, and it's not the Yankees this time, and no Verlander, and all three games are in Minneapolis, like yeah, the Twins, you know, maybe they're not going to win World Series or anything, but at least stats. they can get through this series, and yeah. I, I gave you some positive I, 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 stats, not, like, hey, the bullpen's like, pretty good this year. And, uh, you know, it's uh, – anyway, I tried. The record versus the home record is all you really needed. You yeah. know, the fact that, that the Astros were the worst road team and the Twins were the best home team, that's really all you needed to kind of say, all right, this is going to be where this, this ridiculous streak ends. Um, and I, I'm by no means am I trying to, like, take credit that I saw this coming. Um, but I obviously was, like, I don't care. You know, like, no matter what the stats are, no matter what – you know, the mass matchup says here, like, like I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And, uh, and then they went out and did it again. I mean, I just can't believe uh, that they went out and did it again. I mean, I, I, I guess I can believe it obviously, cause I sort of expected it. But, <laughs> I mean, I mean, this has reached a whole nother level. You know, it's, it's one thing when it's the Yankees 
Uh, it's the one thing. It's one thing when it kind of feels like most of these series, you know, regardless of the circumstances, the Twins are probably the underdog uh, in all these series. Um, that kind of makes it okay to lose the series themselves. You still kind of go, gee, it'd be nice to win a game now and then. Uh, but this this was different because it wasn't about just winning a game. It's a three game series where all three of the games are at home. You don't have to go to Houston for one of them. And like I said, you're the best home team in the league during the season. They're the worst road team in the league during the season. They wouldn't even be in the playoffs in a normal season, normal circumstance. This is their only in because of the weird coronavirus situation that Major League Baseball was in this year. The fact that the Twins couldn't even win a game, you know, let alone get swept, they hadn't lost back-to-back games at home all year. And they choose this time to do it when they get – uh, an outstanding pitching performance from both of their guys oh. in the two games of the series. I mean, it just it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up in any way. And uh, you know, for I think for Twins fans, you know, whenever you were losing to the Yankees, you could kind of go, "Well, shit, it's the Yankees. They're they're good. They're better." You know, the 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 dumber fans, in my opinion, would always blame about squawk about payroll this and payroll that, blah 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 blah. But this time, Which none was of that partly applies. True. And I think a lot of Twins fans. I think a lot of Twins fans this time are, are just numb to it. You know, it's just kind of like, all right, you know, sky's blue, water's wet, the Twins lose playoff games. Yeah, it's it's miserable watching. It's just horrible. It's awful. And it's not the Yankees anymore, obviously. But there has been some bad managing. But this was a time where the Twins actually met the strength of its opponent, probably both in hitting and pitching. And it was weird. It was the first inning. You had the first inning Twins had the bases loaded with one out bases loaded one out and then correct me if i'm wrong somebody hits a sharp liner that just happens to be right into somebody's glove like it was just the guy was standing in the right place he would have drawn yeah it was rose it was eddie he would have driven in a two runs right there twins start the gravy train rolling right away okay ding dong which is dead new year new team whatever you know it's, it's over and then, uh, but of course, in your, when that ball gets caught, you're just like, okay. And my mind's racing. I'm like, okay, this is the first inning. If they don't get a run here, still cream rises to the top. It's, you know, it's, it's a long game. It's a couple, maybe three games. It's not, don't, don't think that if they don't get them here, they're not going to ever do it. And then Miguel Sano comes up and he hits a soft little thing down the third baseline. And anybody else on the Minnesota Twins, except for maybe Willens Ostadio, beats that throw. But because it's Miguel Sano, he doesn't beat the throw, and the inning is over. And it just kind of felt like right there, I thought, okay, I don't believe in these curses, but it does feel like it's going to happen again. After one inning, like the Twins had bases loaded, one out, and one kind of unfortunate thing happens, and then and then the wrong batter at the wrong time, Miguel Sano. And there you go. Here we go again. And it was dreadful the rest of the way. Two hits. In seven innings, but Zim, it's not just it's not just like, oh, it's a foregone conclusion. Rocco Baldelli contributed to this. We've had many discussions over the year about baseball and how managers are probably the coaches and the leaders in sports who matter the least. They're called managers. They're not even called coaches. Um, usually, especially in a sport like baseball with no salary cap, uh, you, you mentioned the Yankees and the payroll excuse. The payroll was a big reason they could buy the best players and best hitters and pitchers in baseball, and the Twins never had as good of a roster. Uh, but in this case, you, you wrote it in your column that Dusty Baker, the dinosaur who had been a just a loser in the playoffs, managed circles around Rocco Baldelli. What were the things that Baldelli did to contribute to the, another monumental uh, shitstorm? Well, I think it's twofold, 
and I think you can take the two ways that he, in my opinion, dropped the ball and sort of compartmentalize them differently. Uh, one of them's inarguable, and that's, you know, just the X's and O's. Did they work? Did they not? The decisions he made. Um, and you can say that, you know, pulling Kenta Maeda and Jose Barrios after five innings ended up looking like not such a great decision. I think it was a terrible decision personally, but I can see arguments to be made for why he did it. Maeda's pitch count was a little bit up there. Barrios's pitch count was not up there at all. It was 75. Um, it, it, it was almost like, you know, this isn't spring training anymore. What are you, what are you holding him back for? Like he just sort of had this attitude like, well, we don't want to get him stretched out. Why not? Your season is literally on the line. <laughs> and I realized that, you know, there are some, some new school metrics and the twins subscribe to some of them that going through the lineup a third time, you know, the pitcher's not going to be as effective. Well, that's true of everyone. That doesn't mean as I wrote in my column, <laughs> Apparently, a, a pitcher has never thrown a complete game shutout in the history of baseball because, it's, oh, they have to go through the lineup a third time for a, or a fourth time. I bet if you went back and looked up the numbers, I bet Jack Morris probably wasn't as effective throughout his career in the third trip through the lineup, the fourth trip through the lineup. That's true of every pitcher because you're more tired the third time through, the fourth time through. The batters have seen you better the third time through, the fourth time through. That's always going to be true. That doesn't mean you have to make that change. It doesn't mean you have to bring someone else in, especially when let's not treat the Twins bullpen like it's some lights-out unit full of four aces. Yeah, these aren't the 2015 Royals. Yeah, I mean, these guys were marginally effective throughout the year. Tyler Duffy uh, was maybe their best and most consistent reliever. He gave up the lead. Uh, Taylor Rogers was terrible all year. Uh, Trevor May was hit and missed. He ends up putting the season in the hands of Cody Stashak for some reason. Like, it's one thing to put him into the game at all. They never used Tyler Clippard, their most experienced relief pitcher. So first, okay, you go to – we're going to go to Cody Stashak before Tyler Clippard. Fine. You get a scoreless inning out of Cody Stashak. Then you send him back out for another one? I don't understand that at all. Then you go back to just, you know, some of the decisions having Williams Astadio come in to pinch hit at the end of game one, you know, after he had had Mitch Garver pinch hit. I mean, some of that stuff – it just didn't seem like any of the buttons that he pushed worked. And the fact that he treated some of those decisions, you know, as if it were, as I said in my column, almost like it was a spring training game. Like, dude, get out of the way. Let the players play. This is not the time to be worrying about pitch counts and matchups and all these kinds of things. At, at times it's okay. Like, you know me, I'm, I'm a proponent of, of metrics, of the, the, the statistics – all the things that I always used to bitch that Ron Gardenhire ignored and tried to manage with his gut and things like that. Um, but you can't, especially, you know, in an elimination game or in the playoffs of the season on the line, you can't just, you know, put your head in this hand. It's so funny to use that metaphor because we always use it against Gardy, but, and say, well, these are what the numbers say. And I'm sticking to my numbers, my numbers, my numbers, my numbers. You lost because of that. You know, there, yeah. there's no way Rocco Baldelli can look at himself in the mirror right now, no matter what he said to the media and be like, oh yeah, this I do it again every time. Jose Barrios after five innings, when again, <laughs> he was the only guy on the team showing any goddamn fire. Yeah. You know, he gets through the fifth inning of this just boring ass baseball game. The Twins can't do anything on offense. He jumps off the mound. He's smacking his glove. He's screaming in the dugout. He's trying to get the guys pumped up. Nelson Cruz admitted later, like, hey, when he did that, we got kind of fired up. He lit a fire under our ass. What does Baldelli do? Says, oh, by the way, you're done. You're out of the game. <laughs> what kind of managing is that? Read the room, dude. Like, 
I just can't believe that he would do that at that point. And again, when he was at 75 pitches, like you can let a guy throw 75 pitches in February. That to me is just mind boggling. Yeah. And I said that Balboa's mistakes were twofold. So the first part was, you know, the, the black and white, the decisions, the buttons he pushed didn't work. Okay, fine. You know, sometimes you try things, they don't work. I'm not saying he should be fired over it. I'm just really disappointed. I think he made a lot of mistakes that I hope he learns from. But the other thing that bothered me was the more intangible side of it, the things that can't necessarily be quantified or proved necessarily, but it sure looked to me like the players were not prepared, like they were not motivated, like they were not fired up for the series. There was no sense of urgency. And again, you know, I, I compared him to the the meme of the dog sitting in the room on fire going, this is fine. I mean, that kind of seemed to be Rocco's uh, MO. And at, at, don't get me wrong. At times it's good to have that sort of perspective. You want your manager to, you know, keep an even keel and everything. Um, but to just not acknowledge that, hey, uh, we're in the middle of an epic historic losing streak here. And oh, by the way, it's happening to us again against a losing team. We're about to go through one of the most epic collapses in baseball playoff history here. And for him to just sit there and go, well, I guess there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> well, I'll just sit here and hope the next guy gets a hit. I mean, that was really frustrating to watch. And then, you know, you see him addressing the media afterwards. He's like, I told my players that they should hold their heads high and blah, 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 blah. And look, I get it. This is not 1965. He's not Billy Martin. I don't expect him to, you know, throw tables and chairs across the room and call his players names and do all that. I get it. That doesn't work anymore. But the last thing the fans want to hear after their 18th consecutive playoff loss is the manager talking up his players about how great they are and what how proud he is of them when they – let's face it, shit themselves, just absolutely embarrassed themselves, did not show up. They didn't show up. And at some point, Rocco's got to own that. And like I said, I'm not saying that he should be fired for this, um, but I hope it was humbling because it, it was embarrassing to watch. It was bad baseball. And if I was the owner of the Twins, I'd certainly be looking at it going, I fired Paul Molitor for this. You know, the, one of the greatest players of all time, a guy who was a manager of the year two years before I fired him. I fired him so, so, so I could have this guy who comes in and, and just treats, you know, the American league playoff series, like it's a spring training, spring training. Game. I kind of hope we win this, but if we don't, whatever, no big deal. Yeah, right. Like that would really bother me as the guy who signs the paychecks. Well, and it's baseball's a long game, right? It is a long season. It's a long game and it's just not, it's not football or basketball from the intensity standpoint. So nor should it ever be from a coach or a manager. Uh, having said that, it's just a leisurely game. And I think sometimes what can work for you over the long haul, uh, and I do think Rocco Baldelli's demeanor does work. It, 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 you just described it all. Maybe in the playoffs, it, it that's where it, it hurts you. And you can't, it, it's hard to switch gears. It's hard to break from your personality. Not just you're relying on analytics, but your personality. And Rocco Baldelli's thing, the big change from the Guardi slash Mollenheyer old school era started in spring training a year ago when Baldelli took over, which is we're going to give these guys a lot of rest. Um, we're going to treat them like adults. This isn't Billy Martin, who I have a great story about before we're done with this. Um, it, it, this is, uh, it's, you know, it's not Bobby Knight. Uh, it's not uh, the Junction Boys with Paul Bear Bryant in spring training. We're not going to beat each other up. Uh, we're going to give guys a lot of rest. We're going to trust them and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to be modern day managers and great. He's also a fish guy. He's also a grateful dead guy. I like that. I like fish. I like the grateful dead. You don't see too many people in sports 
that, that tells you a little bit something. If we want to get into music, which obviously you, I think you can judge a lot of people by the music they like. He's obviously laid back and they probably play a little fish and grateful dead. They were talking about that on the broadcast. That's good for baseball compared to other sports. That's fine. It's a long game. Trust your players. Uh, but at some point, maybe they're ratcheted up a little bit. You know, if you're that laid back all the time, maybe every now and then when you feel a little urgency and get a little pissed or maybe deviate from script, people are going to take it that much more seriously because you're usually pretty laid back all the time. Does any of that make sense? Well, yeah. And I mean, that all that is obviously true at this point. Like, you could kind of get away with pushing back against that before because, you know, the argument would often be the past doesn't have to do with the, pre you know, Rocco Baldelli had nothing to do with the first 13 games of this 18 game losing streak. So it was very easy for those guys to say, Hey, we know about the streak. We've heard about it, but what do you want us to do about it? We didn't lose to the Yankees. You know, that was Brad Radke and Torrey Hunter and Jock Jones and Joe Nathan and Ron Gardenhire. You know, we weren't there. We were kids. This is a new era. We're a new team. Don't lump us in with them. Well, then last year, you went 101 games, hit 307 home runs, arguably the best regular season in Twins history. And again, I'm not necessarily angry at them with or, for losing that series. The Yankees were a good team. I don't think they're unbeatable by any means. I mean, they didn't go to the World Series. Um, but the fact that the Twins just once again didn't even compete. They got swept in three straight games and looked nothing like this team that had won 101 games in the regular season. There was no swagger. There was no confidence. There was no, like, hey, this isn't your big brothers, Minnesota Twins, that lose in the playoffs all the time. We're a new team. We're a different group. Got a new manager, new front office. It's all, you know, they acted like they were eager to continue the losing streak that Ron Garden Twins <laughs> had uh, created over the course of the year. And uh, so then, okay, you get swept by the Yankees. Maybe that kind of humbles you a little bit. Now this year, Houston, I, I, again, I don't know if it was because of it being a COVID season or if they just figured like, well, this is a losing team, so we don't even have to treat this like it's the same thing. But they get swept again. And if there was any silver lining, I guess, from any uh, Rocco Valdelli's parting remarks after the, the series loss was when he was like, okay, you know, at this point, I get it. Like, the streak is at 18 now. We have not won any playoff games, and our fans are pissed, and I get it. He used the the, the, word, the words he said was, I'm aware of it now. But he obviously was already aware of it. It's not like he didn't know they had this losing streak. So I think what, what, he, what I'm interpreting he meant by that is that, okay, I'm ready to kind of acknowledge this. I'm ready to sort of take this head on and, and stop pretending like, well, this doesn't have anything to do with me. It does have something to do with you because you've now contributed to a third of it. You're 0-5. 0-5 is bad enough. Like, 0-18 is fucking terrible. 0-5 is really bad, too. <laughs> so for the Twins to act like, well, you know, you, know you, this is, you own part of this now. So I'm hopeful that this means that, okay, we get it. Like, we can't just go about business as usual and, and treat it with this. We're never going to get worked up. We're never going to have any sort of sense of urgency, or we're never going to acknowledge this elephant in the room talk about the fact that we're not winning playoff games like that tells me that they're ready to do something i don't know what that is if it's as simple as should they be fortunate enough to get into the playoffs next year um they go back you know that, that they address this you know at the start of the postseason they go hey guys uh we've lost 18 of these in a row maybe we should try and win one for once you know i don't know if that's what you do or if you just change your philosophy in a playoff series you 
let your starting pitchers go more than 75 pitches. Um, you know, you try trusting your players a little bit, encouraging them to show some fire, whatever it is. Um, it was at least encouraging to hear him kind of say like, okay, I guess I kind of own part of this now too. Um, because at, at this point it has reached such a historic level that there is no longer any fan or any observer, anyone in the media who's just going to kind of allow you to pull this sort of like, well, you know, it is what it is. Shit happens and there's nothing you can do about it. We just got to keep plugging away, keep battling our tails off and hope one of these yeah. days we're going to win one. All right. Well, we have time for one more question about the twins and then one more off topic question before we get to the football with Curtis Riggs. Again, Matt Zimmer is in Wyoming at his mom's house and it looks lovely at your mom's house. Uh, here on Nobody's Listening Anyway. Okay, now what What kind of moves do the Minnesota Twins have to make in the offseason? Uh, if you want to make things better with personnel, however uh, they see fit to do it, you know, I've, I've read that perhaps it's time for Josh Donaldson to move to the DH. Uh, they, didn't have him, they didn't have his services, and I don't know how much difference it would have made, but those, both those games were tight. Uh, every little bit would have helped. It, it didn't help that Byron Buxton wasn't in there as well. And that's the thing about him is he can make a huge difference. It'd just be nice to have his services. Um, so I'll just, I'll, I'll leave the floor to you. The, the Donaldson DH thing is one thing. Anything else the Twins absolutely need to do to where perhaps their personnel <laughs> can make up for, uh, if not neutralize, whatever they, whatever they just can't bring to the table in the postseason so they can win in the postseason. Well, I think they need to make their bullpen a little bit better. Uh, it was okay this year. Uh, but like I said earlier, none of those guys were guys that you – they'd come into the game in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning, and you kind of go, oh, this guy's going to lock it down. You know, they didn't have a guy like that. Um, we talked a lot – we have talked a lot over the last decade about the Twins' uh, inability to have a, a top-of-the-rotation ace-type starter that helps you win playoff series – you could probably still argue that they don't have one, but Kenta Maeda certainly pitched like one all year long and again in the playoffs. And Jose Barrios pitched very well in the playoffs too. Uh, I like the rotation. It, it, it's going to need some filling in. You know, Jake Odorizzi, I don't know if he's going to be back. Rich Hill's 100 years old. Is he going to be back? Michael Pineda, you know, there's obviously some questions there. I think the tough thing is uh, with the lineup, there's some big-time questions there, but I don't know that they can be – answered in this offseason because how much uh stock do you put in a 60 game hmm. covid uh affected season max kepler wasn't very good um mitch garver was absolutely terrible he was hurt for most of it but like just this is a guy who hit 35 home runs in like 250 at bats last year and now this year was terrible do you trust Mitch Garver? You know, or, or is he still your catcher? Ryan Jeffers, the rookie, was better than him. Looked pretty good. What's your catching situation going into next year? Uh, Jorge Polanco was the starting shortstop in the American League All-Star game uh, a couple years ago. He wasn't very good this year. Hmm. Uh, Marwin Gonzalez looks like yeah. maybe it's time to move on from him. Miguel Sano uh, hit for a lot of power this year, but if they'd have played a full schedule, he would have set the Major League record for strikeouts. He would have struck out 280 times. Uh, Eddie Rosario could be done as a twin and Byron Buxton. Again, you guys, you and I have talked about it. He's an electric player uh, when he's healthy, but it sure seems pretty obvious at this point that you're never going to get more than 400 at bats out of him yeah. in a full season. 
Uh, so there's a lot of questions there. And the tough part, there's not this easy answer. You can't just go, yeah, we got to get rid of Max Kepler because just because he only hit 220 this year doesn't mean that he can't go back to the guy he was last year. He only played 55 games or whatever it was, you know, and Josh Donaldson was hurt a lot. Uh, he's getting older, but the twins were, you know, something like 18 and eight when he was in the lineup and below 500 when he wasn't, I mean, clearly a huge impact when he was there. Uh, Miguel Sano, I don't know that you're They just signed him to a, a, a big extension. And I don't know that even if they didn't, that I'd be ready to just fully give up on the guy because he's still got 40 home run power and is a pretty good defensive first baseman too. So you've got all these guys that it's kind of like it could go either way. Max Kepler, Jorge Polanco, Miguel Sano, Mitch Garver, all those guys, it could go either way. They could be all-star caliber players, guys you want to build around over the next five or six years, but they could also be guys that we've already seen their best. Mm. Their best season as a twin has already happened. And if that's the case and you somehow were able to know that, You'd want to move on from him. You want to get rid of him, start over, because there's Alex Kirilov, uh, Royce Lewis, Nick Gordon. There's some really good players in the minor leagues that are knocking on the door, getting ready to come up. Uh, so they have some really tough uh, decisions to make, and I don't envy them. And 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 I don't really have a – not that they would listen to me, obviously, but I, I don't know what I would do. I don't have a recommendation. It's kind of like – I don't know. This is why those guys get paid to do this stuff because they've got some yeah. really tough decisions coming up. All right. Uh, one more with Matt Zimmer, and then we'll get to Curtis Riggs from the Gateway Lounge, a big doubleheader of unexpected Monday night football. Okay. Uh, Jimmy Butler and the Heat take one game from the Lakers. Everybody's acting like that's a huge miracle, and other people are acting like, well, see, LeBron, the Lakers, they played careless. They can't even sweep a, a much lowlier team, and it was fun to watch Jimmy Butler take over as somebody who enjoyed the Minnesota Timberwolves one good season since 2004 of the last, you know, 18. A couple years ago when they actually did reach the playoffs with Jimmy Butler and Tom Thibodeau. Uh, I thought I was on record on radio. I took Jimmy Butler's side in the, the, those scrimmages that, that ended it all for the Tom Thibodeau era and for Jimmy Butler, where he MF'd. I'm not even going to say the word. He MF'd his teammates in that scrimmage. He took the third teamers, and they took on Towns and Andrew Wiggins, and Jimmy Butler was just screaming and yelling and just beating the piss out of these guys and uh, berating them and berating the general manager. Yes, he's a jerk. Yes, he's an asshole. But I thought that's what the, those Timberwolves needed at that time. And he's a hell of a player. He's the best player they've had since Kevin Garnett. And, uh, and then he goes, and it's just kind of a Minnesota sports thing, right? Might not be a curse, but it always seems to happen. He goes somewhere else. He's not going to win the NBA title. I think that Lakers still win the next two and win in five. But uh, I watched and I went, that's, that's, that's Jimmy Butler. I came to know and really enjoy. And uh, I, I want the alpha dog. Do did, did you, did you, you have any uh, seller's remorse in that? Not really. Um, I would just say, and I don't even think I'm kidding about this. The Minnesota Timberwolves should not exist. <laughs> they should just be contracted from the NBA. They, they are, and I, I mean it. Like, I just don't think anyone would miss them. Why are they an NBA team? Why do they exist? They have the worst they record are so bad. since and they started. They have the worst record. The, the year you talked about, they were an eight seed, needed to win on the last day of the regular season to get the eight seed, got immediately beat in the playoffs. That's their high watermark for, what, the last 20 years? Yeah. And that team was kind of loaded. I mean, between Cat and – I know Wiggins is whatever he is, and then but Jimmy Butler and Thibodeau was supposed to be this coach that was going to come in and figure it out. 
That's the best it's been for 20 years. And before that, what if they never drafted Kevin Garnett? You know, I mean, would this franchise have, have ever been in the playoffs? Why would a free agent ever come to Minnesota? Ever. Why would a player like Carl Anthony Towns ever re-sign with Minnesota after his rookie contract expires? Want to stay in Minnesota. The Target Center sucks. The weather's terrible. The Vikings, Twins, and Wild even, I think, are all ahead of you on the totem pole. I just don't see any reason for the Minnesota for Minnesota to have an NBA team. I think they should move to Seattle or some other city that will actually care about them. There's such I haven't watched an actual regular season Timberwolves game since that day they had to win on the last day of the regular season to get in the playoffs, whatever three years ago that was. I could not care less about them. And I just, you know, I don't see it ever, you know, Ryan Saunders is going to fix it. Yeah, right. And I know he's not going to be the coach for much longer. Um, but it, it just, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel ever. Okay. And so to answer your question, I don't care <laughs> about, you know, Jimmy Butler or how it relates to the Timberwolves. I mean, like, that's just, it's not on radar anymore. I just, I could not care less. Well, thankfully it is the state of hockey and the Minnesota Wild are always a perennial powerhouse in the NHL. Uh, so we have, yeah, that, right. <laughs> we have that going for us. Zim, it's a pleasure. How long are you going to be out in Wyoming? Just a couple more days. Okay. Well, then I'll see you back at the Gateway next week. Yes, you will. All right. We are at the Gateway Lounge now. A few hours later, Matt Zimmer has been in Wyoming, and we've enjoyed it. But now we're at the real deal at the Gateway Lounge. John Gaskins brings some brains to the operation to talk football for the rest of the time. Curtis Riggs, the director of the Riggs Football Academy, the head coach of the 11-time champion Sioux Falls Storm, and former quarterback at USF for a national title team. The three more national titles as a quarterback's coach. And, uh, yeah. So I said to Zimmer before we started this, figuring this whole uh, thing out for the podcast, this is not being in some cushy radio studio anymore. I said the Titanic and the making of the movie, the Titanic had a smoother operation than this. And you were comparing me to Kalen DeBoer, but not in a good way. Just a few minutes ago, as we tried to have take one, take two and take 10 doing this podcast together. But I, I mean, back when we coached at USF, we were still using VHS tapes. And so he would rewind, play, rewind, play to the point of where it was torture. It was torture for me, <laughs> the players, uh, the, the players. Dusty Havorka would beg me, please don't let Coach DeBoer have the remote. And I, I think we're pushing those limits now, John. Okay. Well, I appreciate it because we've had a few drinks. We've, uh, we've watched some football. So it hasn't been all that bad. If no, you're gonna waste great some environment. Time, this is a great yep. place to waste at the Gateway Lounge on 41st Street in Sioux Falls. Uh, you and I have both lived here long enough to know what an institution this is. It used to be an old dive, and it was great as an old dive. We love old dives, but it's turned itself into a family bar and just a top-notch sports bar. I was here yesterday with my husband Gilbert. Cowboys weren't on local TV. We had to go somewhere. I said, we better go to the Gateway because I can watch the Cowboys and I can watch all the other games at once at noon. And there were some nifty ones. Uh, and it's just a cool place to go. And you've known the Rentslers for a long time yeah. yourself. Yeah, I taught at Roosevelt and they were going to school. I knew the family and, and they've it, the great thing about in here is I've seen the transformation as you talked about over the years. And 
now it's 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 one of those places when you walk in it's just overwhelming yeah. and uh you have it all you have it all when you come in here and it, it's been a lot of fun to watch the games tonight here you have the beef chiseling right okay the, the food chiseling? was great yes. the food was great yep and uh at the taco salad again i had all the wings yesterday the wings are meatier than most wings that you get at most sports bars and we watch the Chiefs. This is a Chiefs bar, first and foremost, but it's also a Vikings bar. If the Chiefs and Vikings are not on at the same time, it's a great place to go if you're a Vikings fan, as it was when they played the Texans yesterday. I want to talk about that, as we should, as we always did. But we're going to start with the Kansas City Chiefs uh, and Patrick Mahomes and, and beating the New England Patriots tonight. We got to watch that as we sat here at the Gateway Lounge. And all right. Let's just put the let's put the cart before the horse. We can talk about this game. It was a blah win for the Chiefs. The Patriots didn't have Cam Newton. That deprived us of uh, an entertaining quarterback battle. And it took the Chiefs until the late third quarter to really get going. But they won. Uh, the, the Patriots were pathetic without Cam Newton offensively. And Patrick Mahomes had a few plays where you just, you know, you said to me, there's a few other quarterbacks who can make that play. They're 4-0. You looked at the schedule. Does this seem like a team that can go 16-0? You know, it's tough because, I, I, I mean, tonight is such a lackluster performance, but it's still a double-digit win. I mean, they easily cover the spread. And, and it didn't even, yeah, it didn't even seem like they really stepped up and played. It was, it was like, sweat. yeah, it was a, a practice. It was a scrimmage for them. Um, and, and you think this is a team that has a shot. This is a team that could go 16-0. Then you look at their schedule, though. I mean, they have to go to New Orleans to Tampa Bay, to Buffalo. Uh, they have Atlanta at home. I mean, and then, you know, they have to play the Raiders twice. I mean, that that's no gimme. Um, and the rest of their division, I, I think, will kind of wear on them because when you have to play those teams twice, you always are susceptible for, a, a, you know, a, a game where you go in with a lackluster performance. But I think those road games are really going to be a test of Buffalo, New Orleans, Tampa. If, if they can do it, they deserve it. Well, I mean, they won three consecutive playoff games last year being spotted double-digit deficits, yeah. one of them by 24 against Houston. So, I mean, they they can they can flip the switch on anytime they want. And as a Chiefs fan, that's fun. It's a spoil of riches. But 16-0, you got to be pretty polished for 16 straight weeks. It's and, like they need that challenge, though. Yeah. You know, they get down. All right, let's go. Uh, they play the Ravens. Everyone thinks this is the team that's going to beat them. And they come out and just stomp the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. And it, it's it's like they need that challenge to really step up. Otherwise, they're just going to go in. We're going to win, but we're not going to be great. All right. I, as a Chiefs fan, as a Mahomes guy, I mean, I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. I feel like 42 years of football purgatory up until this past Super Bowl is all worth it. But it it's hard to pinpoint how great a guy really is when he has the best tight end in the league, the fastest wide receiver, the best offensive mind. Is Andy Reid not the best offensive mind well, in football? Or Eric Bannamy, too. Yeah. I mean, I think the combination of the two. Yeah. I think one of the things where you really think back to where Andy Reid needs more credit than he gets is to trade up for Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, sure. think of how many people were like, what are they doing? Well, including the Bears. Uh, many people, yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I, I think they have so many weapons, but but they, they have an average defense. I They know how to use the weapons, though. I mean, every NFL team has weapons. They just don't know how to use them like the Chiefs do. 
All right, so, I mean, Mahomes has them plus Andy Reid. So, I mean, if you put him with the crew that Russell Wilson has in Seattle where he has no offensive line and very few weapons, um, you put him, who was the team yesterday? Carson Wentz in the Eagles. I mean, Carson Wentz was working with a guy who was a sixth or seventh round draft pick. He was working with another guy from Australia. He's working for somebody who played his football at Old Dominion. Um, how much? Would, how well would Patrick Mahomes thrive in uh, in places where he didn't have this kind of arsenal? Yeah, so Seattle, I think he would thrive. He would do well because they do have skilled guys there, and and they can do some great things. They have a, a good offensive system. Uh, it, the Eagles is one that's very interesting because he would try to force the issue. I mean, inevitably, as you get pressure on you, you want to make a big play. He's going to turn the ball over, and so that would be an interesting one. And and to the point of where. Would he be a, a you know half a billion dollar guy if if he was in a system like the Eagles? Because you look at what Carson Wentz had to play with last year to this year. I mean, he doesn't have a receiver really. Most people could even name nope. uh, their tight ends are their most notable guys, and and now they're hurt or Dallas Goddard's hurt, and Ertz it doesn't look like the player he was. Um, so I I think that would be a challenge. He would still make that offensive line better though. He is so good at making an average or poor offensive line look at least good just because he can drift, he can move, he feels the pressure, and he knows when to get rid of it. So is he the best QB in the league? Yeah, I, I don't even think it's close. I think um, it, people try to compare, compare Lamar Jackson, and I think that was very evident last week in, when they went head-to-head. Yeah. Uh, it's not even something that you look at as apple-to-apple. Uh, I think guys like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers is playing extremely well this year. These are guys that are in that 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 grouping, but I think he's still heads and tails above everyone else. So, he, so it's not just the weapons he has; it's not just the coach no. he has. Yeah, he has he has abilities that you just can't coach. That drift that he does to allow the pressure to come to him and buy his receivers more time to pull away. I, I mean, that's just something you can't coach. In fact, you know, you think about as a quarterback coach, I'm teaching my guys. Five steps, stepping forward, worth throwing and taking that hit. He's the complete opposite of that. He's drifting backwards and can make a 50-yard throw on a on on a dime as he's drifting away from the defense. And he's doing everything fundamentally. You're saying, don't do. Wow. So he's got some. So he's got something nobody else has. Yeah, very few Even people Russell have Wilson. It. It, it, Even Russell, Russell Wilson can't do it. Aaron Rodgers is one though that can. He can okay. throw from many awkward situations. He just doesn't have the athleticism that Patrick Mahomes has. All right. Curtis Riggs with us. It is so fun to have him on. Nobody's listening anyway. Matt Zimmer did half the show, and it's fun to have Curtis pick up the other half to talk some football here. Let's, let's go to Carson Wentz and see. He is a Dakota's guy. He is a North Dakota State guy. We all in the region kind of count on him or are rooting for him. And the Eagles, amazingly, have had the lead for like well, like three snaps in a fourth quarter this year, and they lead the NFC East because that's how garbage their division is. And they beat San Francisco last night who didn't have Garoppolo. But, you know, the, the, the knock or the narrative is he tries to do too much. He tries to force it. And that could be true. But there are some who are wondering if, you know, his best days are behind him. Like that rookie year, 2017, before he tore his ACL and Nick Foles came in and they won the Super Bowl. What's what's your read on how he's standing in the NFL, and how hard is that to gauge considering yeah. what he has around him? 
I, I think the, the really the, the tough part is is we're watching him play with such a different group of receivers every week. I mean, he has a different group every week. They can't keep a guy healthy at that position. Um, I think he does try to press. I think he is trying to make plays that he shouldn't be trying to make. Um, I think he's still really good. He's an outstanding leader. He's an outstanding competitor. Um, I, I think, you know, watching the Chiefs game tonight, we thought, boy, this is a boring game. You watch an Eagles game and you're lucky to stay awake. I mean, it, that is just torture. Yeah. Um, but it, you don't know any of the players. They're they're very vanilla offensively, and they're still in first place in that terrible division that they're in. Yeah. Now remind me, we're going to get to a North Dakota State quarterback at the moment, Trey Lance, and how NFL ready he is because he's he's going to declare. He's going to do it. He had his one game on Saturday, but. I also want to dive into the Minnesota Vikings uh, with their win over the Texans on Sunday. And we knew the Vikings were going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. We knew they were going to tank for Trevor. NFL teams don't really tank anyway. Um, what do you make of them now? Because the Texans now fall to 0-4. They fire Bill O'Brien. That's not a good operation. But... What do you make of the Vikings at one and three right now? It, you know, everyone was so distraught about the off the offense. I I mean, they're terrible defensively. I I just think they're awful. I I think seeing Jefferson come into the role of the number two receiver was huge for them. It, the offense still funnels though around their run game. I mean, they have to be able to run. They have to be able to have play action. They can't rely on Cousins dropping back. It's it's the same song and dance that we see every year. He cannot drop back in predictable situations, and, and now especially because you know he's going to be looking for Thielen the entire yeah. stretch of the field. Um, so they have to be able to get their best athlete the ball and find different ways to do it. I mean, they've got to mix it up. Okay. he did, Cousins looked like a maestro on one drive. He had like three passes, and it was actually at a critical point of the game. If Kirk Cousins can't – if he can't come up for you in the fourth quarter – he can at least do something where you're being challenged, you're put on the spot, it's mid-third quarter, it's a one-point game, and he threw like a dart to Jefferson, a dart to Rudolph, and then he found Thielen in the end zone, and it's and you kind of wonder, well, where, not every drive, but where is this more often? Um, but you've pretty much solved the riddle of the Vikings offense. You can't expect... Cousins to win a game if their running game isn't going or but if they're behind. Soon, if the there's no quarter. run game, teams know A-gap pressure. I mean, put it right in Cousins' face. He's yeah. going to struggle. What can't, What is his problem? Why well, does he I, struggle? I, he'll stay in that pocket. I mean, he will stay in there until the bitter end. And, and we saw where he's had so many fumble problems. Well, that's yeah. one big reason why. He will stay in there and not take off, not be a threat, not be an athlete, not get positive yards, not check down and then end up turning the ball over. The other thing is that pressure comes into his face. He's not going to try to get out, and so then he'll end up making a bad throw off the back of his his back foot. Is it, so is, so he's pretty much, he is what he is at this yeah, point. Yeah, he's I a mean, great seven-on-seven seven quarterback. Yeah. You know, and, and Jared Goff is the same way, except for they do a great job of getting him out of the pocket. If you've watched the Rams this year, they're back to doing their bootlegs. I mean, I bet their passing game is 40% bootleg. I mean, they are moving him should out of the pocket. Should the Vikings do more of that? The Vikings should be doing it. Just Why Have you watched the Cleveland Browns this year? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the Cleveland Browns said, Baker, we're not going to let you sit in the pocket. Baker is cousins to a T. I mean, same height, yeah. same size. And, and we're going to get you out of the pocket, let you have easy windows to see, 
plenty of field to work with, and easy throws. So, so Gary Kubiak, who's been to seven Super Bowls and won like four of them, is a player, as a coordinator, as a head coach. He's now calling the offense for the Vikings, and few would dispute he's the one that designed this offense that Kevin Stefanski coordinated last year. Why? Like, why? Why yeah. can't any of the and, and and what's his name, D. Filippo, before him? Why can't any of these guys figure out that's what you ought to do with Cousins? Why? Well, I Can think you? sometimes the situation too. First down, you you you're first and ten. You maybe try a pass first down. You don't get anything. So now you think, well, we got to throw and we got to eat it up. Uh, you know, instead of being second and five, we got to try to get this first down. And then now you're third and ten. And now you become predictable, and now you have pressure in Cousins' face, and now he's going to have a turnover. And I, I think the Vikings find themselves behind rather than playing ahead, where Cousins is so much better. Okay, um, that defense. There's a lot of alibis here. It's yeah. Daniel Hunter's maybe the best pass rusher in the NFL, one of the top three or four, and might be gone for the season. Hasn't been in those first four games. We we know who else they lost. And we, and we know the cornerbacks are young, and at times it's been depleted back there. But with Mike Zimmer being supposedly one of the best defensive minds in the NFL the last 20 years, certainly one of the best at scheming up pass coverage at the back end, still pretty bad. Is it, has, he, has he not been coaching well back there? Hey, you know, right that's things? really hard. I, I, I heard him talk about as people were attacking the corners, he, he put it on his two veteran safeties, saying that, the, you know, it's my two veteran safeties that are playing poorly. Um, you, you know, it's so hard for us to ever evaluate defense without seeing that end zone shot of, of film. So instead, we just look at giving up points. That's the way we evaluate yeah. the defense. And you don't know if losing Joseph in the middle, I mean, that had to be a big loss for him. Their best pass rusher, a big loss for you. A great pass rusher and a great push in the a gap is going to help make average corners really good yeah. corners and they're they're missing those things i mean you're a guy who's been uh, a quarterback's coach an offensive coordinator who's also the head coach and some guys have that in them to be both a coordinator and a coach do you think zim at this point is that guy i i, I think it's much? tough i i often wonder how do you manage the game when you're still trying to make adjustments you're trying to watch watch the film during the game on your ipad you're trying to make any adjustments. You're trying to coach the guys and still manage. Hey, do we need a timeout here? Hey, you need to run the ball here. Don't throw here. All of these things. And um, I, I think it's difficult. Some coaches can do it. I think Zimmer has a good feel for defense. I think right now the personnel is not matching up to the scheme he wants to do. And they'll either have to make changes schematically or make changes personnel-wise. They have a very 6-10 and 10 or 8-8 eight eight field with them, don't they? Pretty it, much. it does seem that way, especially as you watch the Packers continue to pull away. Yeah. I, I think right now, if, if they were playing the Lions, I think the Lions would be rated ahead of them, and I think the Bears would probably be a, a minus 2 or God. 3 them favored over the Bears. But I think the three teams, the Lions, the Bears, and the Vikings, are all pretty even, and the Packers are way ahead. There's, there's so many places we could go here. We're watching the Packers right now. At the gateway, as the Chiefs game is over, so the sound of the Packers is up. They're easily beating the Falcons 20-3, to early third quarter right now. And, okay, so let's go to the Packers. I agree with you, and they were 13-3 and last year, but everybody was kind of underwhelmed. The NFC wasn't that good, and uh, it seemed like a very odd fit with Rodgers and LaFleur. What are you seeing now? What's what's the difference with the Packers? Uh, yes, yeah, the difference is um, so as I watched the Packers last week and this week, their best receivers out, and yet they don't miss a beat offensively. 
So why is scheme that? wise, they, they're filling in, the, they're plugging the holes. I mean, they're finding, well, we don't have our best receiver. How can we get other guys the ball? How can we mix this up still? How can we continue to get Aaron Jones the ball? How can we make it to where Aaron Rodgers fills in rhythm with all of these guys? And that's what they've done compared to last year. Um, they look really good. I think they've done a better job with their run defense. Last year, I thought their run defense was terrible, and the 49ers exposed that in that playoff yeah. game. This year, they look better in that realm. I think they're definitely a contender in the NFC, especially if Rodgers can stay healthy. So is Matt LaFleur, after all, maybe not just a guy who had a cup of coffee with Sean McVay, and he's actually uh, you yeah, know, got, I, got both a good offensive coordinating and head coaching acumen to and, him? I, and I think to his credit... He hasn't come in with McVay's total system. I mean, McVay's all about the boots. The McVay runs, I think, 75% motion higher than anyone else in, in yeah. the league. They have motions and formation changes every play. You don't see that as much with the Packers. So he's adapted to what they have, and I think that's where good coaches really shine is they find the personnel, they build the system around that, and that's what he's doing. Do you feel like Aaron Rodgers is, when he's at his best, is the best there ever was? Like some I, people feel that way? I, I think he has the most fluid uh, release that I've ever seen. I think when he is clicking, there's not many that would be ahead of him. Yeah. Wow. Um, is is there? Are you seeing anything out of him this year that you haven't seen the last few years? Well, I think one thing he, he looks interested. Last year, <laughs> I mean, I, last year you couldn't tell. I mean, it, he seemed somewhat disgusted, and this year it seems like he's he's having fun. He's not faulting others. He's going out and just playing. And that makes it. And that actually makes a difference. Huge difference. Yeah, huge. And, and then his, his teammates buy into it too. Okay, so that kind of stuff actually isn't just bullshit. It's no, yeah, that yeah. actually makes a difference in how the guy plays. And then there's Tom Brady. Five touchdown passes in Tampa yesterday. People underrate or just overlook how good Tampa Bay's defense is. And they were way behind in that game. Things still look a little sloppy. Bruce Arians just seems like kind of a sloppy coach. He always has good offenses. He's a good offensive mind. His teams seem to turn it over a lot and overcome their turnovers with a dynamic offense. And that's what happened in Tampa yesterday. But what do you see? What did you think? When Brady went to the Bucks, and, and and what are you starting to think now after four games and how much of a contender they can be? Well, I, at first I thought a disaster because how is he going to spread the ball downfield the way Arians wants to do that? You know, we saw that with Jameis Winston constantly five step drop, hold it, hold it, stretch the ball down the field. Yeah, and and that's not Brady, and he doesn't have the mobility to be doing that either. But now as you watch him, I mean, it looks like a Patriots offense. You know, and, and he's throwing the tight windows. He is stretching the ball down the field, but usually in a play-action setting. Um, he looks very comfortable. He's made some mistakes early, but that's to be expected. I think you're going to see he's going to continue to get better and better at taking care of the ball. I think their defense will get better and better as they continue to go. I think two teams. I think the Bills, their defense is going to get better and better each week. And I think Tampa Bay's defense will continue to get better and better. Yeah, we got to get to the Bills at some point. That's I, I watched a lot of that game against your Raiders yeah. yesterday, and I'm like, I can't believe it. The are they four and zero? Are they four and zero? Four and zero. And Stephon Diggs making plays. I yeah. It just all we ever saw him with Minnesota was just run by people. Now he's he's out jumping people and yeah. um a, a great trade for Buffalo. I I questioned it when it happened. I, I think it's really fit well with what they're doing offensively. Do you think the Vikings are truly missing him, or is Justin Jefferson enough to where it's not you know, like not that it's an yeah. even trade? But you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, I, I thought week for, one, 
Oh my gosh, they missed. I mean, it yeah. was like, how many times can we try to force this ball to Thielen? Bingo. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this is awful. But it was and, pathetic. Uh, yeah, and and now as you see that they're giving Jefferson a chance, he's showing he can make plays. Okay, so they might not miss him that much because Jefferson's coming But he's out. not the deep threat, though, that, that uh, Diggs no. is. And he no. doesn't clear the field for Thielen the way Diggs did either. Okay, so we're not talking, this is not Randy Moss yeah, area. Yeah, it's a different style of player. I think Jefferson's going to be really good, but it's a yeah. different style of player than Diggs was. Okay, so is Diggs great in Buffalo because he is great, or is Josh Allen pretty legit, and what else do they have? Well, I think Diggs with Josh Brown, the way those two can stretch the field, it's almost like it's a poor man's Tyreek Hill. You know, and that's what they're trying to do is we want guys that can stretch the field because we have a quarterback that can throw it that far. And now if we can run the ball, we have a quarterback that can get us yards running the ball, and then we can throw over the top on you with two legitimate deep threats. So if they're 4-0. Yeah, yeah, they're good. They I mean, like I think the... that game, it's a Thursday night game, Kansas City at Buffalo. That's one where you just wish you had crowd. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it would be crazy. Yes. Um, but, it, you know, I, I think Kansas City's definitely the better team. I think Josh Allen will make more mistakes than Mahomes will make. Um, he's he he definitely is is has a tendency of doing that, but they're good enough to overcome those against the Chiefs. They'll struggle to overcome those mistakes. What is that game again? Did you have uh, it's uh, the fifteenth of October so it's close. coming it's coming. Up, two okay. weeks. Uh, let's circle back since we're now in the AFC East. The Patriots and tonight, like, how much better of a game would this have been if Cam Newton were playing? It would have been really good, especially the way that the Patriots came in and were able to stymie the Chiefs off. I think one thing is the Chiefs went into the Ravens game and they had their gun fully loaded. We're shooting all our bullets this yes. game. Yeah. And uh, this game they came in and, and they had a slingshot. And, and you know, they felt like the slingshot was good enough to beat the Patriots without Cam Newton. And they found that, hey, we're going to struggle tonight. I, the Patriots did a really good job. They came up in a five-man front. They gave the, the Chiefs an odd look with two linebackers on the outside. They would drop. They would rush. And it kind of confused Mahomes. The thing they missed, though, was they couldn't, keep uh, an offense on the field and you know with Cam Newton he's very good at moving the chains especially right now he's good at rushing for those positive yards and he's actually throwing the ball really well again this year okay a couple things first with what the Patriots did on defense is that something that can be a blueprint for other defenses yeah. or is that just something that a Belichick defense can do and not everybody's going to Oh no, yeah, that. we'll see it. We'll we'll see it more frequently can now. They, but can, I mean Andy Reid and well? Bellamy, I mean they're gonna they're gonna go back, look okay. at the film, and, and they'll be ready for that the next time. But um you, you know, it's how does each team tweak and make changes against their upcoming opponent and which one wins the chess match. Is Belichick the best coach ever? Yeah, I, I think he's proven that. I think um I think he's he's excited about this challenge of being away from Tom Brady and and showing that um, you, you know we'll be good, we'll be okay without him. Well, I, I this this sounds very simplistic. What makes him head well, and shoulders the, the better? The thing he's able to do is even though it seems like he has zero personality, yeah. obviously he's able to get every guy to buy in. No yeah. one questions. I mean, Randy Moss is with the Raiders and he's a complete jackass. <laughs> he goes to the Patriots and he's all in. Yeah. I mean, an unbelievable season, and and that's what they're able to do with just about everyone. 
except Antonio Brown. I was going to say, that makes you really wonder about Antonio yeah, Brown. Yeah, I just don't think there's any hope there. Well, I mean, he's not. no one wants him. Yeah, even now, someone could sign him. He'll have to sit out, but no one's it's willing like to take the risk. He's that far removed from yeah. being the best receiver in the league. Yeah. All right, so the other thing I had about the Patriots and, and Cam Newton was, here's, here's a theory I heard, and this is kind of along the lines of what we were just saying. And uh, this is from Colin Cowherd, who you and I both enjoy hearing. He, he's very conceptual. And his concept, after watching what Cam did in almost beating Russell and the Seahawks and almost beating them in a shootout, is you give, you know, it was more about where he's at than how good he is. He's in Carolina, yes, they went to a Super Bowl, but toward the end, he didn't have a lot of structure. He's a big-time talent. Sometimes talent, if you don't give him structure, even in, like Antonio Brown, it's going to go awry. So do you buy into this was the perfect place for Cam Newton? I, I Given think, his personality. Yeah, and, I think that the difference is, is he's being coached and he has structure, and they're not going to let the little things just fly by. Where in Carolina, his fundamentals were so awful. They were so bad, and they allowed it to happen because okay. he was just such a gifted athlete. So this is more on yeah, McDaniels? Yeah, so I, I think they let him continue to be poor out there because he could make big plays, okay. but they let him be subpar instead of challenging him. I think in New England, they challenge him. He accepts it. In fact, he relishes it. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is he doesn't have to be the playmaker every single play. They're not going to rely on him to win them the game. They're going to rely on their defense. They're going to rely on the structure. They're going to rely on special teams. They're going to rely on a run game just as much a pass game. Who else in the NFL do you watch and you go, that is a well-coached team? Um, you, you know, I think... Um, Boy, that's tough. I, I think so much of it is based on personnel. How well does this personnel fit? With it, it, It's amazing. Even in the NFL, when starters go out, when starters go out, there's a huge difference. There's a big difference between this team and that team. If, if Patrick Mahomes went out, we would see a totally different Chiefs team. We would still see a good team, but would we see a great team? We saw team? that last year. Yeah. Yeah, we and, saw that. And in the, it's amazing. So yeah. it's hard to say which teams are coached well, rather than which players receive the coaching. Because I think all the teams have good coaches. It's just which players go out there and really think, "Hey, this is the best thing for us." Uh, Aaron Rodgers just threw a touchdown pass to something called Robert Tanyan. That's his, his third one tonight. Have you heard? Uh, no, Robert never Tanyan? heard of him. Yeah. Okay, so we're watching this touchdown pass. The guy's wide open. Yeah. Not quite sure how he got that wide open. He got tackled, got up, and then Rodgers found him. But Rodgers, you watch him, though, and it looks like he's he's having fun. I yeah. mean, he's having fun. But how does he get the ball to so many different guys you've never heard of? Well, the system. I mean, that's where you have to look at the system. Okay. I, I mean, because usually if you have one guy, let's say Julio is getting – the Cardinals, Hopkins, yeah. is having 17 catches. Well, that's because they're making sure he gets the yeah, ball. Right. And now after two games, the NFL teams have adapted to this, and, yeah. and the Cardinals have lost two in a row. You know what I feel like at this point? Because I'm just asking you anything I can, and uh, you're giving good, succinct answers. I'm feeling like I'm Larry King right now. I'm just, uh, <laughs> I've got no idea what I'm talking about. I'm just throwing stuff at you, and you're kidding Houston, hello. Looking Mountain, uh, Tennessee. Let's go. Um, and this is great because we're just kind of going all going all around the league. 
Um, okay, maybe this is an easier question for you to answer about coaching. Which teams do you watch and you go, wow, they are poorly coached? Yeah, the Cowboys. I, I, the Cowboys are, are I, I, they have so much talent. And one, everyone is, is saying how great their offense is, but I, I heard some stats this morning. They're the 25th ranked offense in the first half. So there's only seven teams worse than them in the, in the first half. They, they, they can't come out and sustain things in the first half. And then when teams go to a prevent defense in the second half, they're able to throw Dinkin and Duncan and spread the ball all over the field. The first half, when the game's really at a critical point, they cannot come out and compete. And so to think that uh, um, Kellen Moore is such a great offensive coordinator, well, he's not winning it for him when it needs to be a Does winnable he game. Is he calling the plays or McCarthy? I think Kellen Moore is calling okay. the plays, yeah. And right. then defensively, they're they're just an absolute grease fire. I mean, right. they, they can't stop anything. The other Cowherd theory I heard was Mike McCarthy hires Mike Nolan, who probably employed him in San Francisco yeah. years and years ago and owed him a favor. And it's a, it's more of a symptom of, of Cowboys' problem. Jerry Jones... When he, the two best minds he had as head coach, Jimmy Johnson, Bill Parcells, his best years, that's great, but he just, he, he had the, he wanted to have underlings who were inferior to him, yeah. who wouldn't challenge him. And then, so he hires Mike McCarthy, who was considered in that, in that class, and then McCarthy hires that way as well. And he's not getting a lot of minds that are challenging him. Yeah. And now we're seeing what's happening there. Uh, one of the names, I, I can't think of the name, but one of the assistants that was with Dallas that wanted the job, he's now the D coordinator for the Colts, I who have the number I one inf- yes, yeah, like number that. one defense in the league. And um, it, it's, it was brought up about so many of these coaches are locked into the good old boy system, yeah. and that's going to be what takes you down is that same system. Okay. So you can tell the Cowboys are poorly coached, and so Dak Prescott's not that he's four to twenty-two passing yards a game, and you're saying that's more because they get by, yeah. their defense is terrible. They get behind, they make enough offensive mistakes to get behind by multiple scores. He's throwing against prevent defense, so this yeah. is kind of garbage. Here, here's another team I think that people will be shocked by. I think the Seahawks are poorly coached. They their their defense is the only defense that has given up over more than four hundred yards of offense every game so far. But they have Russell Wilson, and he can make uh, every coach look really good. Okay. Yeah. I, and he's the reason why they've been able to win all these games, sustain. Now, I think the defense, you would think with Pete Carroll, it will get better. But they have been extremely poor yeah. defensively. I mean, the Patriots should have beat them. Uh, I think about every game has been where D- Dallas just about came back and beat them. But Russell Wilson is the difference maker for them. Are the Niners going to emerge back eventually? You know, this I year? think the Rams in wonder. that division. I think that I just saw again tonight uh, another defensive lineman for the 49ers out for the season. That's three of their starting D linemen. They let Buckner go to the Colts. Yeah. I, I think the Rams and, and the Seahawks will battle. I think the Rams, though, will be the, the right. team that comes out. Okay. You, you've been pretty good about waiting and waiting on your own Raiders. Uh-huh. So. We'll stay in the Bay Area for your Raiders. That Buffalo game was interesting. Uh, what do you think of your Raiders right I, now? You know, I think we're poor defensively. I think um, we're good offensively, but we just cannot sustain turnovers. If we turn the ball over, teams are going to score on us, and when you give teams extra possessions, that, that's it's all over for us. And when Derek Carr had that, that strip fumble, 
and Buffalo turned around and scored off of it. We couldn't catch him then at that point. What kind of an echelon, like what level of quarterback is Derek Carr? I think he's good. I think it's one where you're okay as you're building your foundation, but eventually you want that difference maker. He's not a difference maker. I think what you'll see with Derek Carr is he'll continue to be a good quarterback, but when can you get that Patrick Mahomes or that next difference-making guy, and then we'll see Derek Carr fade off into the sunset as a, a backup quarterback for Man, a lot of teams. This is fun. We could do this all night. It feels like we've been doing it all night. <laughs> Curtis Riggs, head coach Sioux Falls Storm, Riggs Football Academy, former USF quarterback and coach, four times a national champion at the college level, 11 times at the pro level. Uh, I actually, amazingly, will probably try to squeeze in some high school analysis as well because you're an analyst for both Midco Sports Network and for South Dakota Public Broadcasting. And uh, I do want to get to Trey Lance. I'll finish up the NFL go around with the Bears and Nick Foles because that's probably somebody calling, Where are, is that your wife? Where the hell are you? What are you still doing with Gaskins? Talking to Gaskins. Um, okay. I was a big proponent of the Vikings going after Nick Foles after the Case Keenum year in 2017, where they eventually got Cousins. They got Cousins, and supposedly he was the best guy in the market. Okay, pay the money. Um, and you and I agree. It was not going to – that success was not going to sustain with Case Keenum. Uh, I like Nick Foles, obviously, because of really two games. AFC, uh, NFC Championship and Super Bowl, he threw for over seven or 800 yards between the two. Big, huge games, big, huge performances. And so, of course, the Bears sign him up. And, of course, by week four, even though they're two and one, he's, he's starting. But they did nothing against what is supposedly maybe one of the best defenses, if not the best defense in the NFL, the Colts, who nobody talks about. How good of a quarterback is Nick Foles? I can't figure it out. I, I think he's a great backup quarterback. And I think why he's so great is because you don't have to give him many reps in practice, and he can come in, he knows the system, and he will get you through a game. But the problem is, is longevity is going to be a, a big problem for them. I mean, they're going to struggle to get through you a game with it, him. Curtis. It's okay. It's just a podcast. We're not on the radio. Who is they're going to they're going to struggle to get through a game with him. Who is it? And um, oh, it's my my wife. But <laughs> where uh, the hell are yeah. you? Uh, they'll struggle to get through a game with him with um, health. Health is going to be a big problem for him. And yeah. then the other thing is, is they're just there's no shock factor to them offensively. There's yeah. nothing that really scares you. Um, it, it's We can come in here, lock up these receivers, and just pressure foals. They don't have a run game that really scares you. Um, you know, Miller is maybe their best receiver. My goodness. <laughs> but, is that her? No, I, no, that wasn't. But You can so, take it. No, we're okay. good. Yeah. All right. So I, I think um, he is a, a backup at best. But I think people look at him for leadership with what he did with the Eagles. All right. How would you rate this experience so far? Is it, is it, the podcast? Yeah, sure. I think being in Holy here God. in this environment's great. I think the technical issues is something that will only get better. <laughs> I think, you know, having food, beverage, environment, you know, this this is this is great. It's yes. way better than being in Wyoming. I can tell you that too. Yeah, I would agree yeah. with that. You and you would know you lived I in would. Wyoming. Yeah. How would you describe living in Wyoming? Uh, I, you know, I I think. Um, and you lived in like rural Wyoming. Yeah, I was in the southwest corner. It's it's not a state I ever go back and visit. If that tells you much, it does. It, it's also one where you, when you told me Zimmer was out there, I thought, 
Is he being punished? I mean, what did he choose to go there? And his so mom it's, it's, was there. Yeah, it's not something I, I I really go back to, and and I don't think I will much either. I, so you lived in San Diego, and then your family moved to Wyoming. You know, oh my, my mom and I kind of bounced around a little bit. We went from San Diego to El Paso, Texas, to Bozeman, Montana, and then we settled in Green River, Wyoming for a while. Wow. Yeah. You were in some cool outdoor places. I, I was. Cold. Yeah, San Diego was great. El Paso was hot. Yeah, it was great um, when you could get outdoors yeah. and you didn't freeze your ass off. Okay. That's what you're saying. Um, all right. Let's get to the college game because, uh, look, you're a great college football quarterback, a, a, a quarterback's coach for Lorenzo Brown, who became your quarterback for the Storm and won you a few titles. Uh, and you're the director of the Riggs Football Academy, so you're quite familiar with our level of football in college in the Dakotas. And look, you've been talking NFL at an astute level for 35 minutes here. How do you feel like Trey Lance might fit into that? Good, really good. I, I think, um, the, you know, that one game showcase that he had this last weekend, uh, the one thing that you looked at is, is how does he look out there on the field compared to everyone else? Yeah. And the one thing when you're watching, you're like, that guy looks really good compared to everyone else out there. Even though I, he's 15 of 30. Yeah, even though he's 15 of 30, I think some of that is, is timing, first game. They really stretch the ball more than you ever saw him do last year. And I think that was some of the issues with the interception, the timing with the receivers. Okay. But he also showcased his arm strength stretching the ball downfield. So you think he's and, ready? He doesn't yeah. need any more time in college? Between his athleticism, being able to maneuver in the pocket, his size, yeah. I think all of these. He's going to be a top 10 pick. How old of a guy are you? How old am I? Yeah, how old are you? Uh, 46. Okay, so and Matt ends the coach at NDSU. He's yep. what, in his late 30s, early 40s? Yep. Um, I'm about 40. So when I see Trey Lance do the uh, Brianna Taylor shoe, I mean, you saw his shoes before the game, right? And the whole Bison team does the the Black Lives Matter video. I mean, we kind of almost, there are a lot of people have problems with it. And they say sticks to sports, but we kind of expect it now out of our NBA players, out of our NFL players for the last few years, starting with Colin Kaepernick. And this is obviously filtered down everywhere. Roosevelt's players, uh, about 10 of them take a knee every game. Uh, and and NDSU put out this video. Trey Lance wears the shoes, and you know that's going to rile up some some people in the in the Dakotas who, for reasons we don't have to explain, just don't really care for that. It must be a tough compromise for them because they pay for the tickets, they love watching the players, but they don't want them to be human beings, and they yeah. get mad. What did you think? What, what you you saw that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean go through the mind of Matt ends. And if you're the head coach and uh, your players want to make that kind of a statement. Well, anytime you, you have a team, the one thing I'm sure coach ends, who's really a sharp guy, he went to his team and said, Hey, it, just don't surprise me. Let's, let's go out and do something together. If we're going to yeah. do something here. And um, he's smart enough to know, especially for NDSU football, there's not a better platform in the state of North Dakota than NDSU football. And these athletes have to know that when they put on that uniform, they have a lot of people that follow them. So they have the platform to make awareness something that everyone can um, pick up on, perceive. And even though many of the people in North Dakota probably are like, this isn't an issue here, it's still something we need to be aware of. And that's what Trey Lance is trying to say is, hey, 
you know, I'm trying to show that we need to be aware of this. Yeah. And then from there, what do we do about it? How do we help? You've been an assistant coach at Roosevelt. If you were the head coach at Roosevelt, how would you feel about your players kneeling during the anthem? You know, I think it's the same thing. I think it's um, maybe some kids are trying to do it to maybe get attention, but I think others are trying to bring attention to the awareness of the issues. It's not something that we really have problems with here in Sioux Falls, at least not that we think of, but it, it, it's something that we need to be aware of. And, and that's where I think when, um, you know, we had the, the, somewhat riots at the mall i think you know all of a sudden this is happening and people are like oh my gosh well it happened for a reason you know and and so that's something that we need to be aware of i think the one thing that scares me though is now the taking a knee is is not something that really shocks anyone now now it's it's pretty much you see everyone do it and you think nothing of it so you then what is going to be the next thing you know what is the, and then how are people going to react to that next thing and and that's where you kind of get scared as a coach is when is a player going to try to one up to be that person that starts something else and that's why we always try to tell the guys hey don't shock us don't surprise us tell us about it let's try to work on this together let's try to do something as a team instead of an individual from from what you've taken because obviously you've taken on a lot of guys from a lot of different backgrounds yep. all over the country um what what can you tell people who are big f football fans who are watching all this that still don't get it who still think there's a place outside of sports for this um or who just don't believe that racism is still alive and strong and, and thriving in our country yeah i you know um as coaching the storm has been the most eye-opening experience for me on a subject like this and um i i think you know it was quite a few years before i even really started to get to know where the guys come from like what is their background i mean i had a player Corey williams who i, I didn't even realize until he's playing in the cf cfl and i'm watching a halftime uh, it's a documentary on Corey, and they're talking about how he lived on the bridge during Katrina. His home was destroyed. He lived on the bridge. God. They had nothing, and how they got through that, and how they continued to get, and how he worked to get a college scholarship. And I'm, I coached this kid, and I didn't know this. And I called him right after the game, and he's like, "Coach, I never wanted to use that as a crutch." <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, this is something we all need to know about, though, Corey." Yeah. And. Uh, it's those types of things that help me realize that these guys all come from different backgrounds and they're backgrounds yeah. that that we know nothing about that we've never experienced um we don't know the hardships that they go through and that's something i've tried to get better at knowing trying to realize that um even if i'm teaching at university Sioux falls these kids all come from different areas and they all have a story and i think we need to be receptive to these stories and understand that not everyone goes through that upbringing of rural blue collar south yeah. dakota yeah you don't have time for high school talk quickly yeah yeah <laughs> quickly I, I i'm just trying to test your patience yeah. here that's been a lot of fun uh we mentioned roosevelt okay uh they you've you've worked with taylor ashley their quarterback a sophomore yeah. uh you know his dad uh but in general uh, it feels like kim nelson has his best team he's had and this and it feels like they're a team that potentially could run the table. Yeah, I, I think it's his best overall team he's ever had, and that's even including when he had, um, you know, Taron Christian and Chase Vinatieri, and, um, uh, you know, they had a great group then, but this one is the most complete, I think. 
I mean, especially offensively. Their offensive line is 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 extremely good. Uh, two really good running backs, a great receiving core, and a quarterback that is is really really special. He's kind of he feels like kind of like Patrick Mahomes to me in the sense of both yeah. his mobility and, and I think he's and the surprised. fact that he's got the best help around him. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I he's think got that's the exactly best it. Play caller. He's got the yeah. college offensive I think line. He surprised Kim though. How you know he came out against Brandon Valley and looked a, a little bit like a sophomore that game, and from that point on he's just taken off. And I think his progression has has come much quicker than Kim expected. Is he the best quarterback in the area, in the state? It, you know I think that uh, the Viber Curley Chase Mason was the yeah. best athlete, best quarterback even. Yeah. Um, the Knuth kid at Harrisburg is is good, but I think Talon's probably the most complete, especially for the system he plays in. Yeah, it, it's hard to say though because he has the best athletes around him too, better than everyone else has. It's kind of like Patrick um, Mahomes. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. I, I think though, if you put Mahomes on Seattle, he'd be doing what Russell's doing. If he was on Dallas, yeah, he'd be doing what Dak's doing. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and then, is there w- w- which team, if any, do you think? Can yeah. challenge Roosevelt. Is it Brandon? I think Brandon can. Yeah, they, yeah I, I mean, they I already think, did. And, and I think the way they can is Tate Johnson, heavy dose of Tate Johnson. I think, you know, they were missing their starting quarterback and two starting safeties yeah. that game. Um, and, and defensively, Matt Christensen is really good. I think they'll scheme up something. They'll move Parker Reed around and get him matched up one-on-one. He'll pressure Talon. It's just, can you limit the big plays with uh, Tyler Feldkamp, Michael Polson, uh, Wildy? I mean, they just have so many deep threat guys. What can you tell us about Kim Nelson as a coach? People might not know. Loves the game. Loves the game. I mean, he's a guy that wants to sit in on podcasts, on, on Zoom calls, on coaches sessions. Anyone that's talking football, he wants to be a part of it. Okay, very cool. Um, what did you think? Here's an interesting thing. I talked to him last week. You know, they, it's COVID. It's 2020. Uh, they play Harrisburg. They beat them. They destroy them. It was supposed to be a good game. It was 46-21. Both of those teams have ESD schools who have COVID issues, so they have their games canceled. Both schools look out of state for games, can't find them. And Harrisburg offers Roosevelt to play Roosevelt a second week in a row at Roosevelt for their homecoming. We'll give you your homecoming date. And Kim looked for 12 different teams in four different states but turned down Harrisburg, and he told me because we there's no benefit to us. Um, do, 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 are, are you on his side there? Can you can you sympathize or empathize with that? Yeah, or, yeah. or is it because the point of looking for as many teams as you can is because you want to give your kids a game, no matter what. You want to give your kids a game and not deprive them a game, but they decide to turn down Harrisburg. Yeah, I think you know the one thing you got to look at though is ultimately you want a state championship. And, you know, when you play a team a second time, potentially a third time, yeah. that could really take away a lot of different things. And they can catch on to a lot of your tendencies. They can catch on a lot of your personnel. And they can find some things that you maybe expose yourself at playing that many times. I, I, I think if I was in his situation, I too would have, I would, I would have maybe asked, could we do a controlled scrimmage? Could we maybe look at playing some of our younger kids too? Could we limit the reps of our varsity guys? Uh, but to just go out and play another game against them, I think Harrisburg would have everything to gain and Roosevelt everything to lose there. That's pretty much, yeah, with uh, in a much more succinct sense, yeah. that's exactly what Kim said. Curtis, 
Appreciate your time as always. Is this more or less painful than your weekly chats on KWSN on the radio? Well, this is great. I had a, I had a, a <laughs> meal, had some beverages. Um, yeah, got to watch the games and TVs all around me. Who's a, by the way? Who's the most famous football player you've ever coached or dealt with or played with? Like name drop for me here. Well, well, you know, I was in that movie Any Given Sunday, so I mean. We had quite a few guys. It's uh, coming down back there. to me. Uh, Lawrence Taylor was there. Al Pacino. Um, okay. Well, this is know, this is worthy. Jamie Fox. My uh, God. LL Cool J. I mean, that that was probably the 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 coolest thing with big name people around me. Okay. Um, this is worthy of most, a whole entire another podcast. The most pressured business I've ever been a part of. The movie industry. I I Why? couldn't believe the pressure. Well, you you would do a football scene. And you would make an errant throw, and you would have the stunt coordinator um, give a profanity-laced tirade telling how you just cost $47,000 by, we got to film this again. Did that happen to you specifically oh, or something yeah, near you? it happened to every one of us. Every one of us. I mean, you'd make a bad throw. You would maybe clinch as you're about to get hit, and they would have to film it again. And they would express how much money you just cost. And so you couldn't help but think about it the next play. <laughs> Um, it, it was something I, I, I struggled with. Would it. they not I mean, make very good coaches or would they make perfect terrible coaches? coaches. <laughs> yeah, no way. Where were you playing? I, I was one of Dennis Quaid's, uh, stunt doubles. Wow. Yeah. So did you, and so you got hit. I lot. got hit by a guy named Basil Proctor. Yeah. Great name. He's hitting me on my blind side in the back. How Basil big, how big Proctor. Was he? he was about six, five, two sixty. played at West Virginia. Oh, uh, he, he was, he was a guy. Yeah. So you're getting hit by him, and you're getting scolded for whatever Clenching, you did wrong. Well, making a bad throw. I mean, you know he's coming to hit you. You can't help but tense up, but you got to look natural. All right, since we're we'll do a two-minute drill since we're now running out of time, and you got to go. So just word association game since you were there. Al Pacino, short. That's it. Yeah, little. Was he a nice didn't guy? Was he didn't a- hardly ever talk. His bodyguard was about 12 Al Pacinos. He was a massive, massive okay. human being. And every time Al Pacino walked anywhere, everyone was saying, say hello to my little friend. You know, and I'm just thinking, this is what he gets everywhere he goes. Yeah, that's not and fun. Never said a word. Not a good idea. Okay. Jamie Foxx. Uh, really athletic. Really athletic. Good I, guy? I mean, good guy. Was uh, Wanted to do all the drills with us. Uh, definitely could play college football. Lawrence Taylor. Uh, walked around in pain. Um, you could tell that the NFL was a grind on that body, and um, he was thinking about things outside of being there in practice. Dennis Quaid. Dennis Quaid was extremely unathletic. When he, we went from 35 football plays to Oliver Stone rewrote Quaid to five football plays. He was that bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they needed you a lot. Uh, no, did not need me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> well, they yeah. just needed you to get a hit. Just Basil Proctor coming okay. and take him out the first play of the game. Anybody else that sticks out? Jim Brown. Jim Brown. He walked around like he was in pain every step. Wow. Um, But he he was really a very sincere, pleasant man to meet and talk with. But boy, he looked like he was in pain. I know Johnny Unitas was on the other side as a head coach during the game. Do you ever see your meet? Never saw him. That was not part of it. Nope. All right. Curtis, thank you very much. Appreciate it. If you could take hits from what's his name? Uh, Basil Proctor. Okay. Hopefully this was yeah. more fun than taking hits from Basil yeah, Proctor. Yeah. yeah, now i got to go answer all the calls. Okay, Curtis Riggs, appreciate your time. Matt Zimmer back here at Gateway Lounge next week. Come down to Gateway Lounge next Sunday to watch all the games at once. Awesome food, awesome service. Nobody's listening anyway. We're back next Monday night.